0: Good morning and welcome to episode 833 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at baseballreference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of 538, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello. Hey, champ. We're doing the Texas Rangers preview podcast today. In the second segment of this show, George Bissell will be talking to Jeff Wilson, who covers the Rangers for the Fort Worth Star Telegram. But we, as always, are talking to the author of the BP annual essay, which in this case is Kate Morrison, who covers prospects for Baseball Prospectus and also for WFAA.com, where she writes about Rangers prospects and Texas leaguers, and she's a research assistant for Pitch Info, and she also is involved in some podcasts that you can find out about if you follow her on Twitter at Unlikely Fanatic. Hey, Kate. Hi. So this is our 15th show. So we will be half finished with this preview podcast series when we are finished here today. And this is the first time that we have talked about a 2015 playoff team. Wait, Royals. Halfway through. Oh, yeah. Royals. Okay. Well, that doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot how badly Pagoda screws up the Royals. All right. Well, other than the Royals, who are a Pakota anomaly, this is the, the first 2015 playoff team that we've talked about. For the most part, if you make the playoffs, you are projected to be good the following year. And if you don't make the playoffs, you're projected to be bad the following year. Obviously, it doesn't hold in all cases, but since projection systems are based on what you did before, it uh, tends to work out that way. And so I am reminded of how weird it is that the Texas Rangers were a playoff team in 2015. How did that happen exactly? Because I remember a year ago, we were doing our Rangers preview podcast. It was the famous one where Sam and I were reunited, and I ate a burrito weird, and Sam talked about it, and Russell Carlton was on, and I think that was maybe right after the Darvish injury, and we basically wrote off the Rangers right then and there. And I think people continued to write off the Rangers for the first half of the season or so, and then that turned out to be terribly wrong. So what happened?
1: Well, I mean, I wrote off the Rangers, and I watched more of them and their prospects than possibly anybody else. Well, basically, they figured out a way to plug and play their way through the first half of the season, Because Darvish obviously wasn't the only injury. You had Darvish, you had Derek Holland going down on the first day of the season, and he'd been expected to come back and contribute. And after tripping over his dog the previous year or playing hockey, nobody's absolutely certain what the story was there. So, you know, you had pitchers out. You had this whole outfield question. You had, I believe, Ryan Rua got injured. He was supposed to come in and play left. And he was, you know, he wasn't supposed to be good, but he was supposed to be Okay, he was supposed to be average. And he got hurt. And so suddenly you have all these questions. And you know, you're still dealing with the questions from the previous year with is Prince Fielder going to be valuable? Is two going to be any good? And so they just fig they looked at their farm. They looked at how many bits and pieces they had in the in AAA. There are a lot of guys who you couldn't name now that played in the outfield or in the infield for the playoff. Texas Rangers and I think it's because they've gotten particularly good at judging when to replace talent as a front office judging when when a guy has kind of outlived that first turn through the league when things can be magical and he can figure things out and then when when a league figures them out or he just stops hitting then there's somebody else of an equal low but equal level of talent to step in.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And you wrote in your essay about how this front office has sort of bet on itself in various ways, and maybe one of those ways was the Cole Hamills trade, but that's still not totally clear to me. I don't, I don't think I wrote about that trade, but everyone who wrote about that trade, and if I had written about it, I would have said the same thing, was that this was a 2016 trade. This was a trade with the future in mind, and I don't know, maybe people might have acknowledged the The possibility, the fact that the Rangers weren't mathematically eliminated at the time that they made that move, but I don't think anyone seriously thought that it made them a playoff contender, a playoff favorite. Do you think the Rangers thought that? I mean, if they had been 10 games further back, 20 games further back, if they had been completely, completely out of it, would they still have made that move? Or do you think 2015 was a large part of the calculus for them?
1: I think that they looked at the math on that move and they, I think that's the kind of move that even if they'd been 20 games out, or if they'd been in, you know, dead last, if that offer had come up, if Cole Hamels on that contract for that amount of time for that doable of a deal, if that had come up, I think I, I, you know, obviously I'm not John Daniels, but I, I would have done that deal this year anyway, I do think that the front office thought that they, I mean, and they'd been saying, I mean, I don't think they'd been saying this all along. They'd been saying, you know, we're not quite out of it. You know, we're just going to keep going. We're going to, you know, never, the whole never, ever quit campaign. And so that definitely didn't hurt the fact that they still had this chance that they weren't quite out of it, that even then you were starting to see the Astros fade. You were seeing some, some fading in some other teams and being able to, bring in Cole Hamels for a deal that, you know, looks massive on paper, but something that they could really handle. Mm -hmm. It made absolutely and complete total sense. I mean, on the day of when, when the prospect list kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, I'll admit I was a little, little uncertain, but when you look at it from, from a bit of a distance, it makes complete sense.
0: And how much would you say that move diminished the Rangers system? Because as you point out in your essay, they've been incredibly consistent. Looks like they've been in the top 10 or so, and usually in the top half of the top 10 for many years since 2008, according to the BP rankings. And as you also mentioned in your essay, they've done that while being a very good team for most of that time, which is particularly impressive. So are they still in the upper echelon, even after giving up a lot of talent in that trade?
1: I mean, I definitely think they are. I think that they the farm is, is absolutely weaker. A lot of the talent they gave up was close, was, you know, either major league or nearly major league ready. And and a lot of it was pitching talent. Just something that traditionally the Rangers have had some issues with developing and, and maintaining pitching talent. But at the same time, it's not like this took you know, it's not like the Angels making a trade, which Anytime the Angels make a trade, I'm amazed that they found somebody else in their farm system. <laughs> they, there's, it's weaker. It's definitely a weaker system now. I would put it down towards the bottom of our imaginary top ten. But there's still, you know, you still have Lewis Brinson. You still have. They didn't. They made traded for Cole Hamels, and they didn't give up Nomar Mazara or Joey Gala or Lewis Brinson. Like when you have when you have those three names, like when you have th- those three names, and then you know, you have you have the possibility of getting Dirks and Profar back, which Dirks and Profar is still only twenty-three. Yeah. Like he's still technically like farm level talent.
0: Right. They're they're one of two teams with two prospects in BP's top ten this year, and we'll we'll probably get around to asking you about both of those guys.
1: Yeah. So it's it's one of those things where it's a little it's a little bit of a younger system now. When you look at just your prospect lists, it's a younger it's a younger set of guys. It's a more unproven set of guys. But after this level of continuity, after this level of proven ability to develop talent after scouting it, I don't think you can say that they're a weak system in any way.
2: The Rangers a few years ago particularly, you know, in 2010, 2011 had a reputation for having a very deep front office, not just a good front office, but a lot of uh, really talented guys, future GMs. And uh, you know, sure enough, AJ Preller left and uh, Scott Service left to be an assistant GM and both of them took guys with them either coaches or scouts and the, you know, the brain drain kind of from that front office is a, you know, an obviously a testament to that front office and um, is easy for me and Ben out here, not knowing much to think is something of an obstacle for them to keep their success running. Of course, we don't know the guys who are at the lower levels or who replace them until, you know, they've been around for a few years. So like, I couldn't really tell you necessarily whether they've replaced them with guys of equal caliber. So uh, do you feel like the brain drain has been challenging for them or, uh, is it a non-issue in 2016 with the people they have?
1: I think it's a non-issue in 2016. I think that the real test of whether or not they've been able to replace, you know, replace Preller or replace all of the various guys who have left is going to be in the future. Because right now, you know, it's it's like they set up the pieces. The pieces, are, the pieces set up by Preller and by everybody else are in, still in motion. I think it's going to be down the line a couple of years. Yeah, I guess down the line a couple of years is the right phrasing. When, you know, drafting and signing out of, you know, signing out of Latin America, if they're not able to get a hold of the talent that they're used to getting a hold of, that's when you're going to start seeing the, you know, did they let too many guys go? Did they not promote the right guys? Did they not go out and find, you know, front office talent to replace talent that left? It's certainly not something that I have. I mean, they're, they're a particularly good quiet front office as far as...
0: Yeah, I was going to say that they've always been... Difficult to classify, and maybe that's yeah. just because they don't talk very much. But
1: you're not, you're you're never certain who all is doing what. Yeah,
0: like you don't really think of them as a scouting
2: team or a sabermetric team. Maybe maybe more scouting. But I, I again acknowledging that my feel uh, you know my perspective and Ben's are likely to be dated to some degree. But I sort of think of the strengths of the front office over the years as being a very analytical team in terms of player development. Less analytical in terms of scouting, but very aggressive in terms of scouting, and uh, extremely good at pulling off big trades. Like those are sort of the three things that I would identify as being like the the core of the Rangers front office and the core of their success. So I am kind of curious to know Kate's perspective of whether that it's different. If if this front office has, it would, you know, if you'd identify three different things that are the core of their success going forward, or if, if it's pretty much the same, because it's still, you know, still John, John Daniels.
1: I think that those are all those things are extremely accurate. And I think that they're, you know, I think that JD really sets the tone for this front office, no matter who is working underneath him. I think that they tend to hire in people to kind of fit those philosophies. And I think that the three things you said were really, those really do hit boil down pretty much what this front office does and is known for. Yeah. I, I think that that's going to definitely continue. I mean, and again, like it's one of those things that I can't really, I can't really say that there's going to be changes until there are changes. And there's been none that I've noticed, but It's also been like, what, a season and a half? Is
2: there another future GM in this group right now?
1: I don't know.
2: It's not an obvious. There's not an obvious one. I mean,
1: Levine, Uh everyone is every time there's a GM opening, it's uh, there's a little bit of a question of whether they're going to just promote Levine again and give him another pay raise or if he's going to leave.
0: Has the international pipeline still flowed the same without Preller to the extent that we can tell you? You broke down in your essay the number of top prospects in their system who had come from trade or the draft or international, and it had been very international heavy from 2011 to 2014 or so, and then sort of went down last year. Maybe that's just because some guys graduated and some guys were traded, but that was Largely a a Preller thing, at least that he found a lot of that talent. So have they maintained that ability?
1: Again, it's going to be one of those things that next couple of J two cycles is really going to be when you know. Because when Preller left, you assume that he didn't take all of the guys with him. I mean, I, of course, the politics of scouting and quote unquote signing and word of mouth contracts and all of that down in Latin America, you never know. But Mm -hmm. I think that they're still going to really try to find that talent down in there. Um, but I do I do think that you're gonna see a little bit more of the visible talent that's already in the farm is gonna be more from drafting in the next couple of years just because for you know, all of all of the you're gonna see Mazzara graduate, you're gonna see a bunch of these guys graduate off the farm and I mean Profar did and so and they traded, you know, they traded Alfaro. So I think you're going to see the bigger name guys be be drafted guys at least for a little bit.
2: So the trade was maybe supposed to revitalize Josh Hamilton. It doesn't seem as though it did. How drab is the husk of his career at this point?
1: It is his uh, You could write a book on his career. He
2: did, but I didn't read it. It looked <laughs> awful.
1: <laughs> okay, I said, I, I said, okay. One could write a book from a pure baseball perspective on his career. Looking back now, rather than being in the middle of his heyday, he was an in, the best player in baseball for a very short period of time, and then his star burned out very quickly. I think if the Rangers get twenty games from him this year, they're lucky.
2: Twenty games played, like not not like not twenty home runs or twenty. No. It's just twenty games. That's which...
1: I, I'm I'm fairly pessimistic on his injuries and on the lingering nature of them and on the fact that when he is playing, he's never learned how to play not full out. You know, you'll see Adrian, so you'll see Adrian Beltre. He's another guy who's kind of prone to injury, but Beltray's learned how to play within himself. So most days you're not getting a hundred percent. You're getting really great Adrian Beltray, and he'll put on a hundred percent when he needs to, but he's not, you know, it helps that Adrian Beltray doesn't have a wall nearby to throw himself into, but he he's learned how to play within his limitations. And I don't know if Hamilton has ever done that or if is really in a position to do that now.
0: And, of course, his absence only deepened the hole in left field, which was a big problem for them last year. Not quite an Angels-level problem, but still one that needed to be addressed. And, of course, finally it was. With the Ian Desmond signing, which was really the only sort of high-profile move the Rangers made this winter, and just a really strange, strange offseason for Desmond, of course, as many people have covered. But for a guy who was, you know, an, an average shortstop or so, I mean, every defensive system, whether it was DRS or UZR or fielding runs above average, had him as average or better over the last few years at shortstop, to go from that to left field which is where you stick people who can't field for the most part at age 30 has to be one of the strangest career progressions and he's projected to not hit like a left fielder so do you think that he fits there does does that make sense i mean it's it's better than what they had of course but do you think it's a natural fit
1: i don't know if it's a natural fit but he's definitely not the first shortstop that the rangers have stuck out in left field Mm -hmm. i think that he makes a lot of sense for the club. It's one of those things where you kind of question why did the player do this, but yeah. it makes complete sense for the club because if you do get Hamilton back and if you get a, a good Hamilton, you know, even a decent Hamilton back, then you now have a guy who's, if he's hitting and, you know, Mitch Moreland isn't, you can put him at first. If Adrian Beltre is hurt, you can put him at third. If Elvis Andrews isn't hitting and you're, I don't know what you're doing there and profile not ready. Then you put him in short. If you know you have a guy who can play a bunch of different positions, who's athletic, who they, you know, who's got this good reputation, uh, who's got a good, I mean, and they've been, they've been real big on clubhouse guys recently. It's one of those things. He's every, every, everybody they've signed, you hear, you know, they're, they're a good, they're a good clubhouse guy. They're a good attitude guy. And so I, I would hazard a guess that they feel like he's a guy that they can move around if they don't need him in left field at some point. And Mm -hmm. that if they're not getting any value out of the bat and Hamilton comes back and they get more value out of Hamilton, that he's not a guy that they're going to, it's going to kill them to release or send AAA or something like that. It's no, it's not a huge contract. And if it so happens that he hits like a monster and he's only on a one year deal and so he can go off and try to get more money from somebody else in the next year.
2: I have four quick questions about Jerickson Profar. They're all quick; <laughs> none none require an explanation. <laughs> How many games will he play for the Texas Rangers this year?
1: Well, oh, I, there's I would have said a lot more before they signed Desmond. I don't have a number. I th- I think he gets. I think if he's good in AAA, he's traded. Uh huh. But I also don't know if he has any actual trade value unless he comes up and proves that he can actually hit in majors. And I don't know if they can bring him up and have him try to hit in the majors without doing the same thing that he did when he first came up, which was be a late innings replacement and, you know, get shuffled around the field. And I don't know if they're going to want to do that, or I don't know if he's going to want to do that. Cause he made it very clear that he thinks he's a major league shortstop.
2: I have started the slowest speed round ever. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. So that will make my second question completely invalid going on to the third one. Where would he rank on a top 101 prospects list if he were still had his rookie eligibility right now or would he
1: he was up at the very top i think that at the you can't drop him off entirely there are some other guys who've had similar things that are still on the top 100 not injuries but slump years i think he's down in the the 40 to 50 range now but you can't deny the talent
2: uh okay and so then the last one is will he in your best prediction will he ever be named on an mvp ballot in his career
1: no because Carlos Correa exists now (laughs)
2: <laughs> that makes
0: it harder for everyone else
1: Yeah
2: All
0: right, well, let's talk about To wrap up the the two guys who still are in the top 10 It's Joey Gallo, who made his debut last year He's one of the most fascinating figures, I think, in baseball Has been for the last couple of years And only deepened the fascination and the consternation With his major league call-up last year Where he struck out in 46 or so percent of his plate appearances should we take the fact that the Rangers didn't just hand him the left field job as, as a referendum on what they think about his future? Or is that premature?
1: It's very premature. Uh-huh. It's One of the things I keep harping on, and the only reason I keep harping on is because it feels like nobody's listening. Gallo has always struggled in his first year at a level. He struggled in Myrtle Beach, he struggled in, in uh, Frisco, and he struggled in Round Rock and the Majors. It's kind of his thing. He comes up, he sucks, then he figures it out. Now it's yet to be seen whether or not he's actually going to figure it out at the highest level, but he's still a young guy. He is not, it's not like he's 26 and we're sitting here, oh, just wait on him. He's what, 22? He's, mm-hmm. you know, he's got a year to sit in AAA and figure out pitching and figure out patience and, and figure out you know how to be patient without being too patient because that was... One of the things he he kind of did in double in A for a little bit was he would sit there and he would watch third strikes go by just, you know, seemingly because he wanted to prove that he could watch a third pitch go by. So, you know, obviously I'm not, I don't have any insight into the inside of his head. I'm just speculating there, but, you know, it's, it's definitely not time to give up on Joey Gallo. And I think that the reason that they didn't name him their left fielder is because I don't know if that kind of pressure absolutely needs to be on him. Here, play this position that's not your natural position in the majors from day one after you struggled last year.
0: Right. Well, I will love him, whether he's a superstar or Dave Kingman or something even worse. I I can't wait to watch. And lastly, Nomar Mazzara, who is number five on the BP Top 101. And, you know, maybe it doesn't seem this way to Rangers fans or people who cover prospects very closely, but to me, at least, it seems like he is somewhat under the radar for a number five guy. Maybe that's just because some of the other people in the top 10, they've already been good in the big leagues. We've seen them succeed. But even among guys who haven't made their debuts, he's just not someone whose name I see with the same frequency of some of these other prospects. And he has been around and been good for a while. So give us a, a little prospect capsule on Nomar Mazzara and... And if you agree with what I said, I wonder why you think he maybe hasn't broken through on the national prospect stage to the same extent as some other guy.
1: Well, I would never know that people aren't talking about him, but that's right. because it's, I'm here. It's your job to talk <laughs> about it him. It's because I'm here. Yeah. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Nomar Mazara is a very tall, kind of lanky, but growing into his body, very... Chill guy who currently plays right field and played some left field, but probably ends up at first base when all and all is said and done. He's got projected power, and he started showing it more last year. But the thing about him, you know, you think first baseman, you think power. Mazar is an incredible hitter who's only going to get better. He already has a really, I mean, and he's twenty. He has an incredibly mature feel for the plate and for the zone. And you can watch him through a game, you know, change his approach against a hitter. He, you know, you're not going to see it every game because he's still young and he's still inconsistent and he's still developing, but he has one of the, one of the best approaches I've seen in double a, you know, particularly last year. And the power is coming and it's going to be there and it's going to be impressive and he's young which is one of the reasons why it feels like he's kind of come out of nowhere cuz he was on that he was on that hickory team that everybody was he on that hickory team or is that Guzman I feel like he was but that's just because I feel like everybody was on that hickory team
0: yeah that was a stacked home it was a that was a- <laughs> that was kind of crazy he was on the 2013 hickory team and the 2014 hickory team
1: yeah, and that's another reason, yeah, he was he was on that team. You know, and that team had some people had some questions about it, basically, you know, are any of these guys for real or was was this just a fluke? And then he repeated the level and then he came up to double A and it's just it's an impressive package. You know, he's never gonna have the defensive skills, he's kind of an awkward outfielder, he doesn't have the best reads, he doesn't have the best jumps, he's never going to be fast. He's not fast and he's, you know, obviously you just get slower as you age, which feels weird talking about aging for a 20 year old, but it's true. But no, he's going to hit and he's going to hit for power. And sometimes you're going to watch him do uh, last year. He was he had this thing about Tony. He was Tony Gwynning it. He was slapping it through that hole between the shortstop and the third baseman. He did that so many games. Easy reach out, poke it, single. Like, okay, Zara, I know you can hit that, but can you not also hit doubles? Can, can we get some get some fireworks up in here? It's the middle of June, and I'm dying. Can we at least do something?
0: All right. Well, we will let you go, but first we need a 2016 Texas Rangers win total projection from you.
1: Oh boy, what does Pakoda have them doing?
0: I don't want to tell you. Yeah, we're not allowed uh, to tell you.
2: Uh, no. <laughs> Excuse the uh, results. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man. I feel like I think that the AL West is kind of weakish, but I also don't know that the Rangers are particularly absolutely strong. So I'm going to go with 84.
0: All right. Picota says 79.
1: Okay. Well, I'm optimistic and that's the first time anybody's ever said that of me.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for coming on.
1: Thank y'all for having me.
0: All right. So the Rangers previewing is not over. You can stay tuned after the break and you will hear George talk to Jeff Wilson of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram.
3: Welcome back to Effectively Wild. I'm George Bissell with Baseball Prospectus. Joining me now is Jeff Wilson. He covers the Texas Rangers for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. You can follow him on Twitter at Wilson underscore F-W-S-T. Jeff, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. It's great to have you on the podcast.
4: Well, I appreciate it. uh, I enjoy the work you guys do, so I'm honored to be a part of it.
3: I want to start out with a look at the Rangers' farm system because they have just a plethora of intriguing names that are really on the precipice of, of making a major impact. And At Baseball Perspectives, we ranked outfielder Nomar Mazar as the number five prospect in the game. He's having a stellar spring training so far. What are your impressions of Mazar getting to watch him over the last couple of weeks, and what are the Rangers' expectations for him both in 2016 and maybe long term?
4: Yeah, I don't I don't know where to start really with him because he he's just such a dynamic individual. Not not just what he does on a baseball field, but this guy's twenty years old. He doesn't turn twenty one until I think April twenty sixth. So uh, we're talking about a, a a guy who is elite at, at a young age. He's so incredibly mature. Uh, you know, he, he's from the Dominican Republic. His father was in the Dominican Navy, which I didn't know they had a navy, but nevertheless. You know, Nomar was raised right. He 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 grew up with discipline and and very respectful. His English is fantastic, and that package it, it applies to the baseball field. I mean, you look at his approach and his discipline at the plate. You know, it, it's just it's just really neat to see somebody like this. And and like you said, hot start here to, to, to spring training. It's only been a few games, but uh, every ball I see has been smoked. And and uh, you know, he hit a three run homer off Ross Ollendorf. Uh, in in the Cactus League opener, and uh, you know Ollendorf the, <laughs> the Rangers were relying on this guy down the stretch in the bullpen last year. So Olendorf's not a bum, and uh, quick hands, and and he he takes advantage of counts, and just knows what he's doing. And and you know I I, I kind of am bullish on him, like you guys are. I I think that he is of the big three prospects as I've taken to call him. I think he's going to be the, the the better pro. I, I know Gallo's got the unbelievable power, and is a tremendous athlete, and really took strides last year, but this guy to me just seems like he, he's got the, the chance to be a star. And I don't know when that's going to It's not going to be this year, I don't think. But the Ian Desmond thing kind of set him back. But 2017, I, I just can't see how he's not in the Rangers lineup.
3: It's just a few years ago that Jerickson Profar was considered the top prospect in baseball. He's finally healthy again. He's still only 23 years old. He was stellar in the Arizona Fall League. He's even played shortstop in a few games this spring. What's the plan for Profar in 2016? How much time are they anticipating him spending in Triple A, if any? And, and where do they envision him fitting defensively with this team long term?
4: You know, it, it's still a, there's still a lot of questions. I know I know that the Rangers have a plan that they're, they're going to send him to Triple A. He knows it, and he's fine with it. He's playing shortstop in the spring. He can never say that's his future position because they also, when, when they were trying to sort through the Josh Hamilton uh, knee aftermath, Profar's name was coming up as a potential option in left field. I think they want to uh, see the shoulder, obviously, a lot healthier or make sure that it's healthy before they stick it in the outfield. But, you know, he looked like he, he, he hasn't skipped a beat. He's always had the, the positive attitude, and I think that's something that... Uh, uh, carried in the last two years so they've been tough and really 2013 wasn't a piece of cake either when he comes up to the major leagues uh first full season he's uh, playing every day he's struggling so you know this is a, this is a good kid with a, a good good head on his shoulders but long range you know R- runetto doors the second baseman there, there's no question about that elvis andrews has that long contract that you know does the overpay and um it's just too hard to move them. I mean, I, I, the Rangers, in dealing with another team, would have to take on a, a huge chunk of that salary. So your guess is as good as mine. And I, I think the Rangers are, are guessing too at this point, but they like what they're seeing so far from, from what the proffer did in the fall league and then the way he's been healthy and uh, so far in camp.
3: You touched on it a moment ago, but uh, Joey Gallo, he's one of the most polarizing prospects in the game. He's the definition of 80-grade power when a scout puts that down. He's shown an ability to make some adjustments to reduce his strikeout rates and make more contact in the minor leagues. And From everything you read about him from afar, it seems like he's someone who's a real student of the game. You talk about his relationship with his sort of mentor, Jason Giambi. Do you believe Gallo is going to be able to make enough contact and make adjustments to really become a, an impact player at the major league level?
4: The, the one thing that you, you, you said the. Uh about the adjustments and, and he has pointed this out too. Every time he goes to a, a, a new level, he struggles. It takes him a while to figure it out. So for instance when he moved up to double A in twenty fourteen, he wasn't a great player. But then twenty fifteen he tore up double A and then, you know, got the jump to the majors, went down to triple A and struggled. So he expects if indeed he ends up in triple A as everybody's expecting, that he will make the adjustments and be a good triple A player. And what does that mean? I mean he made for a lot of contact. If you look at him last year in double A, he wasn't just hitting the ball at the ballpark. He was he was a, a pretty good little hitter. He batted over three hundred. He's always gonna strike out. I just don't think there's any way that we're gonna avoid that. And, and I think that depending on who you talk to, that that's just kind of an accepted part of today's game. You know, Chris Davis, the the former Rangers, the prospect and first baseman, who's now in a $154 million contract, and he's going to strike out 200 times a year, but he's going to hit you a ton of home runs. So you take the good with the bad, and I think the Rangers would, would take that from Gallo. You know, he, he came into camp at 260 pounds, not not a fat 260. I mean, this a solid muscle. He expects to be at 245, and I don't know what that, what that means for his future third base of the size. People people really doubt that he's going to be a third baseman long term but he's another guy that, that I just can't see not being in the lineup every day in 2017 and uh, as Desmond will be cleared out of left field in all likelihood for Mazar to move in, uh, Mitch Moreland may not be back. He's going to be a free agent for the first time and uh, playing Gallo first is probably wasting his arm but if it means getting him in the lineup then, then the Rangers can, can look at him there.
3: Can you describe the Joey Gallo batting practice experience for us?
4: It, it, it's pretty amazing and, and he knows it. it and he says he tries not to put on a show i just think he can't help himself and uh you know he's hit some balls in arlington uh he's hit the the roof in right field which which i've never seen done before you know josh hamilton hadn't done that but joey did it two or three times last year but yeah his, his bps are just uh spectacular i mean if you want if you want a ball. Make sure you make sure you're in right field when Joey Gallo's taking BP, and you'll get you one. He's uh, it's just
3: freakish. Last prospect I want to touch on Lewis Brinson. He's another one of the big three, the 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 final member of that. And he's an excellent center fielder defensively. He's made some strides at the plate in the upper minors. Is he the long term answer in center field? And was his ability to play center ultimately the reason they chose to keep him and, and send Nick Williams as part of that package? For Cole Hamels last summer because he profiles as maybe more of a corner outfielder.
4: Yeah, that I think one, one other thing that factored in is, is when you look at the Rangers prospects when you last year, including Williams, Brinson was the only right-handed hitter, and the Rangers are already left-handed enough. So I think that might have had a little bit to do with it too. But but the center field, I don't think that uh, the line of the shields has this thing locked down by any stretch. Now you know we could be wrong. We were wrong last year thinking, you know, as a Rule 5 guy, that he would never make the roster and he would never play and he ended end up being the catalyst of the offense when you go back and kind of look at the stats. But um, Brinson's upside is just better than, than uh, He's he, He's got a stronger arm. Uh, they're both fast. and I mean, DeShields is a little bit faster, but I would probably give uh, Brinson the advantage defensively. At the plate, obviously, there are two different hitters. Brinson's still fast, but he's not going to put down any bunts. But he's going to hit the ball of the ballpark. He's going to find gaps. He's going to, he's going to impact that. And uh, I, I think that, that next year, come spring training, even if the Shields has a good a good year uh, this year, there's going to be a battle to be who's going to be a center fielder. Now, Brinson has to, has, has to have a couple of things happen. One, he has to avoid impulse, which he's never done before in his career in the minors. So he needs to, he needs to find a way to do that. It's always a leg issues. He's got these long, skinny legs. Uh, that he, he's been working on you know, during the offseason. He, he knows he needs to stay healthy, but uh, the, the year he had last year, he hit a high desert where everybody hits. When well, he went to first, going tore it up, and he only had 30 at bats in the regular season at AAA, but they were they were terrific, and then he was he arguably was their best player in the in the postseason. So he he really showed the Rangers that he's, it's time for him to take off. And again, 2017 may not be his year, depending on how things shake out with the Shield, but it's not far and, and and really 2018 seems like ridiculous to even say that that's when Brent's going
3: to be an everyday player yeah, the future certainly uh, looks bright for the Rangers right now and I, I want to turn attention to the more immediate future. And the most recent move the Rangers made was signing free agent Ian Desmond to a one-year deal to play left field in the wake of Josh Hamilton's knee problems. Were you surprised that this was the route they went, especially considering they're giving up a first-round pick, and they had a lot of options internally that, that may have worked out for them? Were you surprised by the Desmond signing?
4: Well, I, I was. I was. The thing in the aftermath is, is that that really kind of surprises me. That they're saying, well, we can't, we couldn't rely on Josh Hamilton's knee. Well, you couldn't rely on Josh Hamilton's knee you know, last year when you got him, <laughs> and and for them to go into the offseason thinking that, you know, hey, we're gonna we're gonna be able to squeeze hundred games out of this guy. I, I just, that's very flawed thinking. And 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 maybe uh, that's their excuse that they, they didn't want to make an investment in Justin Upton or you know, assess but Their payroll is is already higher than it's ever been before, and they have commitments in Fielder, and Shoe, and Hamels, and. And they're going to have a decision if they want to extend you, Darvish or not. But just to to go into to give any inkling that they're thinking was that they could they could squeeze some time out of Josh Hamilton and maybe have a Hamilton Ruffiano platoon. I just think is very flawed. And so I think to put themselves in a spot where they had to I don't want to say it's a desperation move, but it feels like I mean you're taking a shortstop and turning him into a left fielder, uh, and you're kind of taking advantage of a guy who was arguably screwed over by the system that's in place for qualifying offers. But I don't think the Rangers are worried about surrendering the first-round pick. Uh, you know, we, 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 we just talked about the depth they have. I mean, it's always nice to, to add young, young talent. But I, I think in this case, Talking about a guy that, that has twenty Homer power, even if people think he's declining and striking out too much. Uh, and he's an athlete. This isn't this isn't sticking Josh Willingham or Mike Napoli in left field. This is a guy who's gonna get balls and real
3: liability. Adrian Beltre started extremely slow last year, but then he reverted to the form we've been accustomed to seeing for so many years, he hit 320 with 12 home runs in the second half. He was a big reason why the Rangers won the American League West. How much longer can they count on Beltray, who's now 37, to realistically remain that productive middle of the order bat for this team?
4: Well, that's that's a very fair question. You know, we're talking about he's not just 37. This is a 19th season. Yeah. I mean, this is a, this is an old 37. I mean, I a lot of miles on on those legs, and, But they, the Rangers. Generally, think he's an exception to the to the rule they, they don't think uh, they, you know the powers decline they, they can't they can't not see that and they they recognize it but they still think he's one of the best third baseman in, in the game and really he, he probably is when you add them all up you know the, the thing last year he had the thumb injury on may 31st cost him a few weeks uh should have cost him six weeks too. honestly another player would have had surgery and, and that was an option for him but um you figured out a swing. He put together a swing that allowed him to have the great second half that you talked about. So if he can stay healthy, you, you figure that there's going to be more there than, than the 19. You think maybe in, maybe top out at 25. They, they like his presence in the clubhouse. They love what he uh, what he does with the young Latin players. Uh, the way that they look up to him. He's you know he's the voice in the clubhouse to them. And um, you know the Rangers are talking extension now. So because he's a free agent after this year. Potentially, that's going to block Gallo, obviously, and so you you wonder: Do you want to sign a, a guy who's going to be thirty, turn thirty eight next season, early next season? To you know, put I don't know two and twenty five million into him, maybe a little more than that. Is that something you you really want to do? Is that the best use of your money? But the Rangers right now are, are inclined to think that it is.
3: After missing a majority of the 2014 campaign, Prince Fielder bounced back in a big way last year, and maybe the most surprising thing to me when you look at the numbers is that he hit for power and average, but he didn't strike out a whole lot, 88 times in nearly 700 plate appearances. What's maybe the most impressive element of Fielder's game in your opinion, getting to watch him on a daily basis?
4: You know, I, I think we were all expecting the, the Milwaukee Prince Fielder when he signed or was traded in, in 2014, and um obviously we didn't get that because he was injured. But I, I think the thing that impressed me is that this this guy's a pretty good hitter. You know, he he can send the ball the other way, he can yank one out of the park, obviously to right field. But he's got power to all field, and and he can he he's, he knows how to hit. He's not just a 240 hitter who's going to hit you a bunch of home runs. So that that kind of impressed me. I think that the way he went about last year, just figuring himself out and figuring out what he could do, and if there are any limitations, trying to get back into the the groove of playing a full season. You know, as a guy who, who, before he was injured, had had the, the longest consecutive game streak going. So this is a guy that, that played through a lot, but I think he wore down last year. I think I think being without baseball for almost a year, his body kind of uh, wore down on him a little bit, and I think the numbers kind of in the second half speak to that. But I also think that. Having a year under his belt, knowing what it what it feels like again to play 162, and then knowing that there are no problems with his neck at all, I think he's got more than the 23 homers and 98 RBIs in him. I think he he could be a 30 homer guy this year. That's something the Rangers haven't had two seasons. So I think he'll be a little different. I, I think I think when when counts are in his favor, he'll be a little more aggressive than he was last year. But this is a guy that also is a smart baseball player and. And uh, you, you know, people look at his size, and they look at some of the things he did, like the home plate celebration when he acted like he was a bomb, and all the Brewers fell down. Yeah, you know, I think he's a joker, but this 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 is a smart guy. This is a guy who who pays attention to the game, knows the game, knows pitchers, knows hitters, and I think he's a. I think he's a lot. His reputation, maybe, or the way people perceive him, is not accurate. This this guy's a baseball player. How
3: important was it for the Rangers to make that deal for Cole Hamels last summer, and is he? the biggest reason why they have a real, realistic shot to repeat it as division champs again this year?
4: Yeah, it, it was a big trade, especially with the way the, the free agent market shook out with the pitchers we're getting you know, the, in free agency, the, the, the price and the drinking money. The Raiders got arguably a really good value, only paying them $23 million in the next three years. And uh, not only that, they got Jake Diekman that day in, in that same trade. And later they got uh, that day they got Sam Dyson. So really in one day they overhauled their bullpen and their rotation. You know, Hamels the Rangers won his last ten starts. Really, they won the first one in the playoffs. <laughs> they should have won game five uh <laughs> before the seventh inning unfolded. But um it's a guy that's a, a total pro. He is totally dialed into his body, he knows what it takes to, to get, get through a game, he logs innings, he strikes guys out works fast just everything you really want in a starting pitcher and and he's left-handed which has always favored guys in, in rangers ballpark so yeah i mean he, he obviously is very important i think Derek collins is a little bit more important to the rangers chances a guy who's been injured and then and then last year he came back pitched really well and then just went in the toilet uh, down the stretch so you kind of wonder after all these years where do you what do you really get you from Derek collins he needs to have a really good year you know, because Darvish isn't coming back till mid-May or June, and then when Darvish does come back from Tommy John, yeah, you expect him to be really good. But there's always those little pitfalls with good Tommy John guys. So the, the Rangers need more consistency after Cole Hamilton You know what you're going to get from Colby Lewis? It's going to be good, solid number five starter type stuff. Martin Perez and another key guy like like Holland coming off to the Tommy John last year wasn't great. So. He needs to have a big year, too, but it starts with Hamels. Hamels can be a a tone setter. He can kind of set the bar for these guys, and and it's a hard bar to reach for sure, but uh, having him at the top of the lineup and then ultimately having Darvish one too, that's pretty tough.
3: Yeah, I was going to ask you about you, Darvish, in a minute, but you kind of touched on the timetable there, so you mentioned it, but have you ever seen anything like that seventh inning against Toronto? Have you ever seen anything like that before?
4: No, and then and, and really, when you go to the top of the, the top of the seventh, was crazy too because that's the the, the run scored. The, 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 the throw, the throw hit the, the two bad, yeah. yeah, and the run scored with two outs, and and then the crowd went crazy. They're throwing the bottles, and, and I mean it, it was it was really remarkable just that half inning, just that one play, and then the bottom of the seventh happens, which was Andrus you know, making the air, Moreland making the air and, and, you know, throwing the ball in the dirt that arguably Andrews could've caught and then the, and the, the wheel played the, on the bun at third, and it's just flat drops the ball. And then the, the hit that tied the game, O'Dor should have made that play, should have caught that ball. There it should have never hit the ground, but it did. So so there are four straight defensive plays that were just inexcusable, really. And and then the the Batista home run and the back flip and then the you know the argument between Dyson and Encarnacion. You know what I mean? It was uh, I don't know where where that came from. Uh, you can't you can't script something like that. You could not make them like that up. And yet it happened. And all of a sudden, poof, the Rangers were done.
3: As someone who grew up in New England, it 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 reminds me a little bit of the early two thousands Red Sox against the Yankees, where you know the Boonhomer sure. and stuff like that, and, <laughs> right. and, and you just hope and, it doesn't.
4: And Pedro, all of a sudden, you know, and yeah, I, 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 I can hear you. Yep, absolutely. I feel your pain, I guess. I don't know.
3: <laughs> well, you shouldn't feel too bad. Three World Series is, is okay. but
4: uh, Yeah, yeah, that'll work.
3: Yeah, I'm all right with it. Last question for you, Jeff, and we'll get you out of here. What's the most compelling player or storyline that you're looking forward to covering with this team <laughs> in 2016?
4: Well, I think I think interest is a key player. I uh, actually gonna write up a story. I talked to him about that and how, I mean, I God bless him. He stood up after the game, took the, took the blame. Uh, was a man about it. It, it was it was tough because this is a guy who is a free eh, not a free spirit but you know he, he has he has a lot of fun. You know he, he has a lot of fun with the game and in the clubhouse and never seen him like that before. I mean he was just devastated and so uh, you know you, you're around these guys. I've been around him his whole career and you, you you become friendly with them, not not best of friends but you know you don't want to see anybody go through that. But you know the Rangers have to sort their defense. They they are not a good defensive team. They haven't been for a while. And he can't have the same kind of season he had last year. He really, you know, and then when they got him from the Braves and they brought him up with Michael Young to third base, they're thinking, hey, this guy's a gold glove winner. And it just hasn't panned out. But he's an interesting guy this season. Desmond, of course, is interesting. Uh, I think the Seals can avoid the sophomore slump. Mm -hmm. Can Chu repeat what he did in the second half? I mean, I should Chu was arguably the best center in the American League in the second half. If he is finally... Freed himself from the chains that were keeping him down, the mental barriers and the pressure that he felt, maybe coming to the new team with the big contract. If that's the Shinsu two that shows up this year, the Rangers' offense is going to be fine. And and then on the pit, the pitching side, I, I still I mentioned just a minute ago. I think it's Holland. I, I, he's an intriguing guy. This is the last year, the last guaranteed year of his contract. He goes into the options years after this. He's twenty nine. You know, this is his prime, and uh, I think it's a big year for him. Uh, he, he may not be around next year if he doesn't doesn't perform this
3: year. Great stuff, Jeff. Thanks once again for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure talking with you. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. So that's going to do it for our conversation with Jeff Wilson. You can check out his Rangers coverage all season long in the Fort Worth Star Telegram. You can also follow him on Twitter. That's at Jeff Wilson underscore FWST. And now let's send it back over to Ben Lindbergh to wrap things up.
0: All right. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. And thank you to Kate and Jeff for coming on. You can send us emails at podcast at podcastatbaseballperspectives.com. We'll be doing a listener email show on Wednesday. You can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. Sam and I have a book coming out in under two months now. We've always maintained that we are better writers than speakers. And if we've suckered you into listening to our podcast, hopefully we'll be able to convince you to buy our book. I think you'll like it. It's called The Only Rule Is It Has to Work. And it's about... How we ran the Sonoma Stompers last summer, an independent league baseball team. Comes out on May 3rd, but if you pre order, it helps us, and it might help you. You might get it before May 3rd. You can rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes, and you can also support our sponsor, The Play Index, by going to BaseballReference.com, using the coupon code BP, and getting the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We'll be back tomorrow with the next team in our previous series, the Chicago White Sox.
1: Well, I know that the time has come. have got to be.